0: or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's commandment two. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the, Lord your, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's number three. Um, then verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Uh, for in the six days or in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's number four and now we're getting to the the quick and fast commandments on uh, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. That's the fifth commandment, and that is going to be our subject matter for today. So Josh is going to go ahead and pray for us and get into the the meat and potatoes of it.
1: All right. Thanks for the reading of God's word there, Justin. Of course. uh, As we go to pray, um, we have a special request to pray um, from Uh, Adam the Goo Not Jim, smiley winky face, as his full name is, Uh, he had a very uh, tragic event happen in his life recently that has touched him through uh, friends of his, so we're just going to pray for that situation firstly, and then we'll pray for our time together and I'll get started.
2: So, here we go. lord we address you as lord for you are in fact
1: ruler of all things and all that happens in our lives and that touches those around us we know that we live in a fallen and cursed world in which death and dying can come upon any one of us at any moment
2: Please help uh, our good mutual friend here, Adam. And uh, as he seeks to
1: deal with the tragedy that has occurred uh, to his a friend of his friend, that he would be able to be a comfort and a help to those around him. And also able to deal with.
2: Biblically. According to your word. uh,
1: This event that has occurred in his life. Pray that you would comfort those who are closest to this young man. Who has passed.
2: That. If they do
1: not know you. You would draw them to yourself. Have them see that. They have a need for a great God and Savior, a comforter and helper they can only find in you. And if they do know you, then bring them that comfort and help that they so desperately need right now. We know that we can ask things according to what you have promised, and that you are faithful to keep those promises, and that you do promise such comfort and help in our time of need so we ask for you to have mercy upon those involved today and in the months and years ahead as they grieve
2: let them grieve with those as those who have hope i
1: ask for your help and our time together in your word that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word and give us humble hearts to receive it
2: All right, so we come to
1: what is often called the second table of the law today. The first table is generally the first four commandments that we've covered so far in the last four weeks or so. And those are the commandments regarding your direct Sort of vertical relationship with the Lord, with God. Uh, th- th- these govern that area of your life, these first four commandments do. The last six govern your relationship to other people, how you should relate to, firstly, your most immediate family, and then it spreads outward from there to those around you. This is why Jesus, when asked, about how would you summarize the law of God, he responded by quoting from the law two different places. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He quoted those two because those summarize the two tables of the law as they're called. The first, that first command he gave there, love the Lord your God, covers the first four commands. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, covers these next six that we're going to be looking at. However, we don't want to get the idea that there is a division in our lives between these two areas. As I've said from the beginning, the first command is foundational for the rest. One a person who disobeys the first will disobey the rest by the nature of the case. You cannot honor your father and mother as we're going to look at today if you are worshiping and serving idols in your heart if you are going after other gods if you are worshiping yourself if you are serving yourself you will not honor your father and mother as you're supposed to um or any of the other commands as we go down the list here of the next few weeks so i want us to keep that in mind and keep that in the rear view mirror uh so to sort of uh as we keep plowing ahead through the rest of these commands.
2: With that being said, here we have the uh,
1: fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in
2: the land.
1: That last half of the commandment, we're going to get there in a little bit. The Apostle Paul actually quotes it in Ephesians chapter 6. We're not going to go there yet, uh, but we will in a moment after I've talked a little bit about the command. Um, And he explains and expounds on it a little bit more. But first, we'll just take the command as is and talk about it. What does it mean, what does it look like to honor
2: your parents?
1: I'm going to again this week lean on the insights of the Puritan uh, thinker Thomas Watson and his pretty lengthy uh, excursus into the Ten Commandments that he wrote roughly 400 years ago now to help me here. As there's a pretty simplified version, I'll give you first, and then we'll we'll dive into Watson. The simplified version is this.
2: If your parents tell you to do something, you should do it,
1: generally speaking. However, the qualification is, if there's any point in which the command of your parents would cause you to violate the teachings of the Bible at any point, you are to willfully, cheerfully, respectfully disobey that command.
2: But that is the exception. <laughs> and the only one.
1: Um. And, and this is this is difficult because maybe they're being unreasonable but not unbiblical.
2: Okay? Unreasonable
1: is not the same as unbiblical. Or rather, what you may think is unreasonable is not the same thing as unbiblical. Um and that's significant. Now before I continue, I know because I have a similar situation in my own life. My wife the same. That some of you may have parents that are not not only are they not Christians, not only are they not believers, but they are terrible people. That's out there. I am fully aware of it. It is tragic. It is awful, it is terrible. They're parents who are neglectful, abusive, wicked to their children. That's why we're going to talk about Ephesians 6, because this command is not without any kind of qualification in the Bible. And and there is plenty of wrath (laughs) uh, stored up for those who abuse and are wicked toward their children. So, while I summarize the command in brief, I'm adding the qualifications because it is easy to hear that first part of "Oh, you're telling me I need to obey my parents, my parents are terrible people," and and, and miss the qualification. So don't miss the qualification. Don't glaze over because uh, uh, growing up, and this is you know. We, with all the respect and honor I can give to him, but but my dad did and said some things that were not, uh, not good uh, to me and, and my brother growing up. They were not, not only were they not kind, but, but they were evil. They were sinful.
2: Um, and
1: I'm an old man, so I've had the chance to, Reconcile with my father over many of those things, and to mend much of that uh, things are not perfect, but they are far better than they were when I was growing up in a teenager um, my wife her her father is not a believer, and he has done said terrible, wicked, evil things uh to her mother um, to their family and they have not had that kind of opportunity that I've had to mend that fence, to reconcile with him. I'm aware of those situations. I've, they've touched my own life deeply. So don't hear me saying anything else than that during this. Generally speaking, in a household in which you have reasonable, even if unbelieving parents, uh, but reasonable. Especially if you have Christian parents who are bringing you up in the fear and admonition of the Lord as they are supposed to, they have responsibilities to you as their children, just as you have to them as your parents. And maybe you don't live with your parents uh, at all, or at this point in your life as well, but I know some of you do. And so I'm addressing those people in the main, and I'll talk about g- generally ways we can honor our parents. Obviously, for me, I'm a grown man, my parents don't give me orders, but there's still ways for me to honor, respect, and even obey them in certain cases um, in in different ways. So I'm going to walk, now that I've made all the qualifications I think I need to make, let me walk back to the beginning and walk us through a little bit of what it looks like to honor our parents.
2: All right. So.
1: Uh, why let's ask the question first why does god make this a command why is there such an esteem and honor required by god toward our natural parents why is that um well in on, on one hand uh they have the great responsibility and work uh from god to raise you and so them having that great responsibility, uh, you are to show them reverence, respect, and honor to make their lives easier. It is much easier to raise a respectful child than it is to raise one who is flagrantly rebellious and disobedient. So they're able to keep the command that God has given to them far more easily if you, as the child, show the due honor and respect that you ought to them. So that's part of the reasoning for the command is to make this whole parent-child situation move along pretty smoothly. Uh, if both ends of, of the spectrum here in the family keep up their, uh, on, on the commands that God has given them, then the parent-child relationship is, is God-honoring, God-glorifying, and, and even beautiful um, as it progresses through life. The other thing is, is that uh, they have stations as father and mother that are worthy of honor by the station itself that they hold. It's an honorable thing to be a father. It's an honorable thing to be a mother. You have obeyed the cultural mandate by reproducing. And, and so God gives honor to those people who have done so. Um, even if the circumstances around the reproduction of the child were sinful out of wedlock etc the fact that it's happened gives them the station and the title of father and mother and so they are due a certain measure of honor and respect to the station itself now we'll talk about near the end um what What do I do if I have dishonorable parents if I have evil and wicked parents and and we'll we'll talk through that some. But I'm again, assuming a baseline uh worst case scenario, they're un they're they're reasonable unbelievers. best case scenario, they are reasonable believers in everything I'm saying right now. All right
2: So, uh, let's go into
1: Watson here because I gave you the general gist is. In those scenarios that I described, obey them. They tell you to do something, you do it. If you think it's dumb or silly, you keep those thoughts to yourself, and you do it. Why should this is a thought I always had growing up? Why should I make my bed if I'm going to jump back into it later in the day anyway? And nobody ever sees the inside of my room. Guess who come over? Things like that. No one. My parents never went in my room, hardly at all. People who came over never went in my room. Why should I make my bed? And I disobeyed the fifth commandment growing up for basically my entire life because my dad expected me to make my bed, and I refused to do it on a regular basis. Uh, that was a flagrant rejection and disobeying of this commandment. It was not an unreasonable request. I thought it was, but it really wasn't. It only took a few minutes, but I thought I had this whole logic thing worked out and that he was being a crazy person because it didn't make any sense to me. And so I shouldn't do it. That was my reasoning, but it was sinful for me to do that. He was not asking me to offer a pinch of incense to Caesar in worship of him as they did in the Roman empire. He wasn't asking me to bow down and worship a statue of, like or something he was asking me to pull the sheets up over my bed every morning when i got out of it that was it
2: so that's an example of how that kind of thinking does not uh is a violation of this command
1: all right into watson here uh he says uh how do children show honor to their parents firstly he says by a reverential esteem of their persons so what does that mean uh he says that that you you give them reverence in a few ways you, you can show it inwardly by having a fear mixed with love very similarly to how you relate to god but on a smaller scale and in appropriate proportion to not you know The creator of the universe but to your parents so don't hear me saying you need to worship your parents that's not what i'm saying um but there is a a fear mixed with love as he describes it where and by fear he simply means a like i know that they have a great responsibility and a great power over me as my parents and i should respect that power um but they also have my best interests in mind uh they're fallible prone to sin just as i am but they do uh have love for me and they do want me to prosper in the land so to speak um and, and there's a command in leviticus for uh every person to to fear their mother and father so that's where he's actually driving the fear mix of love bit um so he says that you can show honor to them by having a right emotional orientation to them by having the right affections about them by having a respectful love relationship for them um they're not just they are they're, they're, they're you know, and it's easier, especially as you get older, to have more of a friendship relationship with your parents. But if I want to honor them properly, I will still maintain an appropriate sense of reverence for my parents. Uh, and, and, and not treat them as a peer at any point. Uh, he also says that you can show reverence toward them outwardly in word and gesture. So speaking respectfully to them and about them speaking honorably to them and about them um he says they ought uh, children ought to speak well of them hit their parents if they deserve well uh and in case a parent betrays weakness and indiscretion the child should make the best of it and by wise uh, apologies and he doesn't mean apologizing to them, he means defending them uh he says kind of proverbially cover his parents nakedness now he's not saying that if your parents were streaking then you should throw clothes at them what he means is that they've if they make a fool of themselves or they fumble publicly or they do you shouldn't join the crowd and laugh at them you should defend them because they're your parents their family and that's a way to honor them all right Secondly, he says children are to show honor to their parents by careful obedience. And uh, he he says the obedience of parents is shown three ways. And this is important because this helps a lot of the qualifications I was making earlier. Uh, First is in hearkening to their counsel. So in my case, my parents don't really give me commands anymore. I don't live with them. I don't see them every day. They don't give me, you know clean up your room make your bed they they don't tell me to do those kinds of things uh but they do as i hear about the things going on in my life give me counsel they give me wisdom and advice uh and so uh watson talks about his example is seeking your parents counsel when you're thinking about marrying someone um that you should seek their wisdom in that matter. As well, if they're married, they've done it before. um Now, if your parents have a sh- divorce streak going, and you know it they like a you know Call of Duty kill streak or something going on, and they they can call in an AC-130 because they've gotten divorced many times. You shouldn't ask them for marriage advice. All right, he's talking about parents who are married. Uh, and, and have shown themselves to understand marriage well enough to give advice on this. So, so going to your parents for counsel about things that you know that they struggle with or are bad at is not what he's saying here. But he is saying, insofar as they're able to give you wise counsel, you should pay heed to it. Pay heed to the wisdom they've accumulated, pay heed to the wisdom that they've gathered over their lifetime, especially if they're Christians, they, uh, they've gathered from reading the word. you should pay heed to that wisdom. And rejecting it or ignoring it outright would be dishonorable to them. It would break this commandment. doesn't mean you have to listen to all of those things that they give as, as advice or wisdom. doesn't mean you have to do it the way that they say um, every single time. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that you need to heed it. You need to listen to it. You need to carefully think about it. If, if, if you're about to make a big decision in life and your parents are totally against it, You should hear them out and not just have settled yourself in your mind that you're just going to do what you're going to do no matter what. You should consider hey, maybe they've been here before. Maybe they've been through this kind of thing. They've lived, you know, probably twice as long as I have. Um, In some cases, maybe longer, depending on where you're at when when they, you know, had you. And, And so you should pay heed to that wisdom that they've accumulated now he gives an example here uh where if if a parent were to counsel you to do something obviously unbiblical you shouldn't do it right and and again that should be obvious here um you're not obliged in any case to even hear out any kind of advice that your parents give you that is rapidly unbiblical now what you can't do you can't go hunting the Bible to try to find ways to contradict what your parents are telling you to do. You can't proof text things out of the Bible to try to construct a biblical argument as to why you shouldn't clean your room. That's ridiculous. We all know it. Uh, That's not what you do here. What I mean is, uh, his example is, if your parents were to advise that you marry someone who is, he says, impious or popish, which is a Puritan way of saying uh, someone who is an unbeliever or someone whose religious beliefs are so radically different from yours that there's no way that things would work out. Um, That, that you, you should not do that. You should not marry that person. And even if your parents are telling you you should marry that person, you shouldn't do that because that, that is one uh, you're commanded to uh, not marry unbelievers in the first place. And in terms of radical differences of uh, religious belief that it's, that is a recipe for absolute disaster if you are actually taking your religious beliefs by the world seriously. Uh, you, you shouldn't do that. Well, he's example of a Roman Catholic and a Protestant getting married. It, it's a recipe for disaster if either of them are seriously committed to their beliefs in any way, shape, or form. All right. Uh, and then he says the other way is, is just obedience and complying with their commands. Uh, he, he says a child should be the parent's echo. When the father speaks, the child should echo back obedience.
2: Now he does give the qualification.
1: Uh, he says, as far as the commands of parents agree with God's commands, if they command against God, they lose their right of being obeyed. And in this case, this phrase he uses is interesting. He says, we must unchild ourselves. So if they give you a command that is directly against the commands of God, they lose their right of being obeyed in that scenario. And you have to treat yourself first and foremost as a Christian and not as their kid in that situation. Now, hopefully that doesn't occur often. Um, But if it does, then that's what you have to do. And lastly, he says, honor is to be shown to parents in relieving their needs. So he says that you are paying a just debt. Parents brought up children when they were young and children ought to nourish their parents when they are old. So this is kind of where I'm heading in my own life. My parents are getting older. They're going to be in their 60s soon. I have an obligation to them, no matter how they treated me when I was growing up, by the way. So this is a way, even if you had you know, terrible, unbelieving parents, as they get old, you can obey the fifth commandment and show honor to their position as father mother by caring for them as they
2: depart this life and to not do so well he he calls them monsters uh here's um
1: Uh, such children or monsters, shall I say, are to blame who are ashamed of their parents when they are old and fallen into decay. And when they ask for bread, give them a stone. (laughs) So he has very strong words for children who do not uh, seek to honor their parents by caring for them in their old age. All right. Now, let's zoom out from earthly parents for a moment and talk briefly about obeying the fifth commandment with an eye to the Father, the first person in the Trinity, fully God, the Father, that Father. If you're a Christian, then you have every right and obligation to call him Father and treat him as such. And importantly, it is so important to remember this. No matter how your earthly father is, the most ideal and perfect early, earthly father is a shadow and a glimpse, a mere glimpse, of the actual fatherliness of the father. The father, the God the father, is the standard of fatherhood. If you attribute to God the Father things that your earthly father has shown you about himself, good, bad, right, or wrong, then you have the picture backwards. You would, say, you would be saying that my earthly father is the reality, and I'm going to project onto God the Father things that he possesses attributes that that my earthly father has or attitudes my earthly father has i'm, I'm going to project those onto god the father no 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 no, no. You, you cannot do that at all it works the other way around anything good in your earthly father is reflective of god the father and comes from him for all good things come down from our father who is in heaven as it is said Father of heavenly lights, as James says in his first chapter of his epistle. So, obeying the fifth commandment, let, let's say you were in a situation where you don't know your earthly parents. You can still obey the fifth commandment. If you're a Christian, you have a father who is in heaven, and you can honor him in similar ways uh, as, as you would honor have honored your earthly father. Um, And he is the standard of fatherhood and he is sufficient to be the father of your life. Fatherlessness, both of absentee fathers who are present in physical form, but absent as a father and actual absent fathers who are not in the picture at all is a serious problem. It's a serious problem, and a lot of people have experienced it on on both sides of that spectrum. But a Christian has no excuse to attribute any of their problems or sins to fatherlessness, because they have the best, the wisest
2: father that exists. He has
1: given you all of the wisdom you need that you would have received from an earthly father but perfect and better wisdom in the scriptures. He's giving you all of the uh, commands you need to live your life in a consistent and virtuous fashion. He, he's given you all you need for salvation. He's given you everything that you need, this good, righteous, holy, heavenly father. And, and so we honor him by obeying him, uh, as, as Watson says, by advocating his cause and standing up for his truth. We honor him by ascribing the honor of all we do to him. And, and so, like I was saying earlier, all the goodness of your earthly father, if he has any, comes from the father. So just as I said that, so so too, any goodness that you have, any good that you do, must be ascribed to and the honor and glory given to the source of it, which resides with God. Uh, we show honor to our heavenly Father by celebrating His praise, by praising and worshiping Him, by praying to Him, by communing with Him, by communicating with Him. Uh, it would be scarce to say that you um, you know loved and honored your earthly Father uh, if you never spoke with Him at all. <laughs> uh, I actually. Sh- realize that I was disobeying the fifth commandment in this way about a year and a half ago or so because I never talked to my dad I didn't do it I also wasn't praying either so I was disobeying the fifth commandment toward my heavenly father and my earthly one thankfully I've repented of both of those things praise be to God So that's uh, a way you can honor God the Father. Another way, we show honor to our Heavenly Father by suffering dishonor, yes, death for his sake. Now, in Thomas Watson's time, there was a real possibility that you could have died in England for believing the things that Thomas Watson is lining out. Uh, The political situation was back and forth between Protestant rulers and Roman Catholic ones. And when the Roman Catholic ones in charge, even sometimes when they're Protestant ones in charge, if you were saying some of the things that Watson was saying, you you, you could have been killed for it. And and so that's what he's talking about here is that you honor God by being able, willing to endure suffering for his sake. So. There you go. that's the ex- bit of an excursus there on fifth commandment applied to God the Father. Lastly, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6 real quick because there, this command is quoted in the New Testament and expanded upon. And I want to look at it with an eye to what does God expect of your parents? And if you're going to be parents one day, what does God expect of you in relationship to this command? So Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice the qualification, in the Lord. Verse 2, he quotes from our Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord.
2: Now, uh,
1: so, 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 so does that mean that, that last part, just real quick, does that mean that every time you're angry with your parents, you can quote this verse at them? No. Notice that it is an intentional provocation from the father that provokes the child to anger. It's something that the father is doing that is intentionally provocational. It's inciting anger. It's, 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 he's trying to pick and jab and poke at the kid to make them angry. There are parents who do this. And it is
2: condemned right here in scripture. It's not okay.
1: But let me go back real quick. What is, what is Paul doing here? He, he notice that he says, this is the first commandment with the promise. What's the promise? It may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, for the Israelites who were given the Ten Commandments, this was very, very true. Because there was a kind of disobedience to your parents, not just any kind. It had to be a very serious transgression that would get you stoned to death. So this was a pretty straightforward promise. (laughs) Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Because if you you were in this kind of flagrant disobedience to your parents, then the community could bring charges against you for disobeying this command and you could get stoned to death. So there was a very serious undertone to this promise here. But Paul is quoting it in the new testament to the ephesian church who doesn't have uh, a community and society in which they could enforce such a law so what does he mean by mentioning the promise
2: well when godly parents generally speaking will be able to give you
1: wisdom and instruction that will help things to go well with you and that will increase your longevity of life it's like when you're a small child and, and your parents say hey, stay away from the sharp things, stay away from the hot things you would do well to listen in the same way when you're older and if you have godly parents who are doing what he says in verse 4, who are bringing you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you would do well to heed what they are saying, because it is not uh, just, you know, their own good ideas there, but they are communicating to you the wisdom of God from Scripture. Ideally, that's what that would mean, to bring you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the fact is that, barring some kind of unfortunate accident, Yeah, you're gonna live longer, uh, in the land, and things will go well with you in terms of uh the the wellness of your life. Now, terrible things happen to Christians in all kinds of places. He's not in even in Paul's day. I mean, it was in Ephesus where he got uh, a riot, drove him out, and he was almost killed by a riot in the very city to which he's writing, and so. Again, uh, what does it mean for something to go well with you? What does it mean to live long in the land as a Christian? Uh, well, uh, Christians have the best life possible, no matter their circumstances, because they have the most important problem of life resolved, which is how can we be reconciled to a holy God? How can we have peace? with a holy and just and righteous God in light of our own sinfulness, our own disobedience to this very commandment. If you have that sorted out, everything else is easy in comparison. That is our chief and most important problem to resolve, and it has been resolved in Jesus Christ, who is born on his own shoulders, the wrath of God for the Christian, for the one who trusts in him, who has obeyed perfectly these 10 commandments and every other command that has come from the mouth of God for the person who trusts in his life. He has given you his life and his death by faith in him, by trusting in that work to bring peace between you and God. Problems result. Everything else is easy in comparison.
2: So, lastly, let me touch briefly on ungodly parents, wicked parents, those who
1: uh, would mistreat their children, commit great evils against them, and how should you As a future parent, potentially treat your own children. Uh, Watson, again, uh, in his uses of this command, he says, let parents so act that they may gain honor from their children. How should parents so act towards their children as to be honored and reverenced by them? Firstly, he says, be careful to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. And that's his way of pointing to the Ephesians text we just read. And it's funny, he says, you conveyed, you, the parent, conveyed the plague of sin to them. Therefore, endeavor to get them healed and sanctified. (laughs) So by bringing you into a fallen world, they have an obligation to you to attempt to
2: give you the gospel. And to raise you in the
1: discipline and instruction of the Lord. Secondly, he says, if you would have your children honor you, keep up parental authority. He says, be kind, but do not spoil them. If you do not, di- now this is interesting. Listen carefully to this. If you do not discipline them, they will despise you instead of honoring you. They will despise you instead of honoring you. And why is that? Because without some kind of discipline, when we go astray, we need to be disciplined. When we sin... When we break God's law, we need discipline to come into our lives and put us back onto the correct path. If we are allowed to just keep going off into nowhere, that's where we'll end up. We will end up mired in sin and darkness if we are left to our own devices. And God has given you parents to discipline you during your childhood, to keep you from forming sinful habits that will lead you into darkness and despair. Now, not all parents succeed in that role. Some don't even try. And that's what he means. They'll despise you. They'll despise you if you don't discipline them at all. Thirdly, provide for your children what is fitting, both in their minority and when they come to maturity. So, so so, what he means there is that, that parents should provide. They should provide for their
2: kids. Um,
1: and as a way that uh, children can, will lead to children honoring their parents. Fourthly says, uh, when your children aren't grown up, put them to some lawful vocation, wherein they may serve their generation. So your parents... Ideally help help you they, they, they push you to get a job, essentially. They, they don't keep uh, just you know they, they don't let you live in, in their basement forever. Uh, don't abuse your parents' kindness if you're an adult and you' you've been slopping off your parents for years, uh, don't abuse that kindness and your parents are doing you a disservice in that as well five he says act lovingly to your children in all your counsels and commands let them read love love will command honor and how can a parent but love the child who is his living picture and a part of himself he says the child is the father in the second edition (laughs) kind of funny Um, and lastly he says act prudently toward your children is a great point of prudence in a parent not to provoke his children to wrath and then he gives a bunch of ways that a parent can provoke a child to wrath i'm just going to read the first one so that you understand that he's not he is not advocating blind complete obedience to evil parents all right point uh two that he makes is parents broke children to wrath when they strike them without a cause or when the correction exceeds the fault he says this is to be a tyrant rather than a father And then he says, when parents deny their children, what is absolutely needful. Some have thus provoked their children. They have stinted them and kept them so short that they have forced them upon indirect courses and made them put forth their hands to iniquity. He's saying that there are parents who have not not fed their children so their children are out in the streets stealing bread because their parents won't feed them.
2: Things like that. So
1: there is room in this command, all that to say, for there to be wicked, terrible parents that are not worthy of full honor the way that you ought to honor a godly set of parents. Parents who abandon you, parents who abuse you, parents who do not provide properly for you. You should not lie to them and honor them for not doing those things and pretend like they are. Honor them for that which they do do. That is good. But there is, there is no disobedience to this command to not give honor for things that they are not doing. So hopefully I made myself clear in that regard. That this command is not a justification. There, there are parents who abuse their children with the Bible by abusing this command. Parents who are abusing their children and saying, actually, because the Bible has told me to not spare the rod, so I'm going to beat you half to death. That is an abuse of the scriptures. That is an abuse of the child. That parent is wicked and needs to go to prison. So don't mishear me. I'm making all the qualifications because people come in and out and I'm repeating myself many times. But let me wrap up with this again. And lastly orient yourself toward this command vertically still even though this is the first horizontal command that extends out to others in your life orient yourself vertically you, honoring your parents is a way to give honor to god dishonoring your parents is
2: a way to dishonor god
1: and remember that the father who is always good righteous, holy, loving, kind, and wise.
2: That he is the standard of fatherhood.
1: Not your earthly father. Always remember that it will help you to honor your father appropriately. Whether you've blown him up too big in your mind or brought him too low,
2: He is an image bearer of God
1: who is a sinner. No matter who he is, those two things are true. Same with your mother. And so those truths have to be kept in mind when we're thinking about this command. And that the honor we give to God is always complete, total, and he's always worthy of it. And there's no qualifications to this command when it comes to honoring God the Father. All right, let me pray real quick and then I'll hand it back over to to Justin. father thank you for being our good
2: wise and loving father
1: who hears us who delights in us as his children pray that any who do not know you as father would come to know you as such through Christ through faith in his work is death on the cross in which he purchased forgiveness of sins which he lived a holy life that we could not live. And he would turn away from trying to earn your love and look to Christ, who was fully obedient to you at every point, who honored you and, and his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, completely and totally. At every point that when we fail to keep this command, we can look to his sufficient keeping of it to cover our disobedience and to empower us to obey, to do so joyfully and gladly. Help us in that. Help us to look to you and to hope in you alone. Amen.
0: Amen. That's some great stuff, Josh. This is a really important commandment obviously all of them are, pro- are important and I'll probably say that after each one but just putting into such a good light and just a good perspective because they seem so simple at first but really getting into the depths of it is uh, so good in the christian life um now we're going to be moving on to uh the question and answer portion um you can use your microphones or type in the text chat uh larry boy has already asked a question if you want to go ahead and pick that one up Josh
1: yeah uh, Genesis 224 talks about leaving your parents as going to marriage can you talk about that in connection to what we've talked about yeah um, so yeah a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and then shall become one flesh so that is a good very very good point so the there's an assumption within that 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 union will at some point most likely barring some kind of physical ailment, produce children. And that those two will, who were joined together, who left father and mother to come together, will become a father and mother. And so they still have an obligation to obey the fifth commandment, to honor their father and mother, but they have created a new family unit that has a new system of family government. So the grandpa is not the head of the household of the married couple otherwise you have a conflict of grandpas because the guy the, the, the husband has a dad and the wife has a dad and they can't both be head of the household so when you get married there's a new head of the household that's the husband um, so that union creates a new microcosmic family government system Uh, But they still have obligations regarding the fifth commandment to honor, to give honor to their father and mother, but in different ways than they did beforehand. So that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, what Watson was mentioning, uh, is that you can honor your father and mother in that stage of life. A lot of your honor given um, is given in such a way that you listen to their counsel. As you make big decisions, um, you, you, you go to them for continuing wisdom as they've lived through that part of life as well, being newly married and and having children and doing all of that stuff. Um, so you still go to them for wisdom and counsel. Uh, you don't overly depend upon them and become a burden to them at that point. That's a way to honor them as well. Um, and then lastly, the way you honor them at that stage of life would be to care for them as they get sick and get old, um, even to the point if, if you needed to bring them to live with you and to provide for them in that instance, then that would be something that you could do. Um, many times one or the other of your parents will pass away first. Maybe it's the provider in that situation and you need to bring them to live with you. If you have to do that, that's a way to show extreme that that's some extreme fifth commandment obedience right there. <laughs> that it's not above and beyond it. It's still just obeying it, but it is uh you are expressing it very potently at that point. Um, all right, there's a the follow-up question in the midst of my explanation, then I'll go back up and answer some of the other questions. Uh what if caring for them interferes with your own being a father? Yeah um so so there are difficult situations in that um there are touchy questions surrounding nursing homes and things like that um i think that that is a way if if you you know are put in a situation where you cannot bring your parents into your own home to care for them i think that's an ideal if possible um or at least to care for them in whatever way you can but if there's many situations where that wouldn't be possible and so placing them into the care of others that you pay to care for them i think that's appropriate
2: i don't think it's out of the question uh
1: but yeah uh you obviously have obligations to your own family that you also have to uphold and and there's a lot of tension created in those situations. And sometimes, there's not, there's not easy answers. Um, but, but ideally, you try to fulfill all of your obligations across the board that you can. Uh, having not been in that situation myself, it's harder to answer with any specifics. But uh, any situation will be very different than the last.
2: All right, let me scroll back up and work through some of these other ones.
1: Uh, What do you mean by parents which should not spoil us? Uh, If a child is asking for just excessive things that they don't need, the parents should not just bow to... Parents should not serve their children as if their children were their master. (laughs) Let me put it that way. They should serve their children in terms of godly service and love and kindness and care. Uh, But the the child is not the head of the household. And a child that becomes the head of the household is spoiled. (laughs) Put it that way. Um, Children should not be allowed to do and get whatever it is that they want. Because they typically do not know better uh than their parents um unless their parents are trying to do something unbiblical and the child quotes a bible verse in response that contradicts them uh most of the time generally speaking again um that should not be the case uh, or letting letting the child get away with whatever they can get away with that would also be a means of spoiling them in that sense and that's what Watson meant when he said that they will despise their parents eventually because of that. Because that a child living that way as a child is going to keep living that way as they get older unless God intervenes. And he often intervenes through the discipline of parents who lovingly correct
2: sinful behavior before it becomes habitual. All right.
1: uh so this is kind of a silly question but if you are a grown married man your pal- parents tell you to do something would we'll be breaking the fifth commandment it depends on what they're asking you to do um are they asking you to do something that is good and right and you're already obligated to do by other parts of the bible so if they ask you to go to church and because you aren't going to church yeah you're not you're not honoring your parents by disobeying that, you're also dishonoring God and disobeying him. So, at that point, um, grown married man, your parents tell you to do something. If they tell you to do something that you're already obligated to do by God, then you'd be breaking two commands by not listening to them. If they tell you to clean your room and you're not living with them, well, I mean, it's just a little weird. I don't know why they're in your room and and why they're telling you to clean your room like it as a grown married man i can tell you that i have not had my parents ask me to do something that i wouldn't have done for them already since i've like after the age of 18 <laughs> they've rarely have ever asked me to do something that i wasn't already willing and able to, to do for them and and so i yeah it's 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 completely the relationship changes significantly when you're an adult and married. Or it should anyway. <laughs> um
2: Yeah. Alright. Uh Graceful
1: Fire, hit me.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh so in your prayer you said something about uh Jesus loving his parents. Uh, throughout his life, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't there that one scene, or not scene, but thing where he's like preaching to a bunch of people and like his Mary comes up and asks him something or says something to him and he's like, be gone with you woman or something like that.
1: Yeah, so that's in the Gospel of John at the uh, wedding of Cana. Um, Let me just pull it up.
0: And he also does it at the Cross and later in John as well,
1: well, there's not a and
0: he he addresses her by woman that oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. the but the issue the that we would
3: take
1: It's not the same tone <laughs>
3: yeah. <A> woman. <laughs> it's more like yeah, woman is yeah right so
1: so i'll just I'll just read uh this part here. Uh, John chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Wait, what? Yeah, okay. Uh, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she understood, well, one, uh Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic to his own mother. So let me just get that out of the way. Now, John is translating the, the event into Greek for us. But when it, it's, you have to remember that when making much of certain words and terminology, there's not always a perfect one-to-one translation. And so I don't think John was intending to communicate that Jesus was being rude or disrespectful by calling her woman. Um, what he was doing however here is he was being very clear with her that uh, what she wanted in that instance was for him to do something that would compromise his obedience to god there's a similar instance of this when he's a child and she kind of freaks out on him a little when he disappears uh when they're at the temple for passover and he he disappears in in jerusalem and they find him teaching people um back at the temple when they realize that he's gone and and she kind of scolds him for it and he says of course i'm in my father's house doing what he wants me to do where else did you think i would be like he he kind of is it sounds like he's back talking there but what he's doing there is actually obeying the fifth commandment by obeying God first and foremost over and against the wishes of his parents, which are contrary in that moment to what God is requiring of him. The same thing is here is she's wanting him to do something about the no wine situation. And he's like, all right. But like, this isn't the normal, this isn't the normal setting for one of Jesus miracles. Usually he does a miracle when he's teaching something the wedding at Cana is very different because there's no teaching involved. He wasn't there to teach; he was there to just enjoy the wedding. <laughs> um, he was invited with his disciples to come, but presumably, like he wasn't there as like the officiator of the wedding. He was just there to as a as a you know a viewer, a participant uh, to some level, um, as, as as a guest. And so when she comes to him and says, "Hey, you should do something about this," he's like i i I'm not supposed to be doing all of this kind of stuff just yet because my hour has not yet come i'm 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 holding back all of the miracle stuff until I need to ramp it up so that I can get arrested and get crucified. That's essentially what he's saying here. um, but he still agrees to do it out of respect for his mother, so there's potentially some lost dialogue here that john doesn't include because verse five or she understood his response as agreeing to do it anyway because verse five says his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you and then he proceeds to create the 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 wine out of water so it's a tricky passage there's a lot going on there but it is in no way uh disrespectful now should you if your mom comes and tells you something to do something reply to her with woman what does that have to do with me no you're not jesus you don't get to do that
3: so there you go all right thank you yeah and good
1: question
0: one thing i do want to also note is yeah there's the language loss but also if you want an example of christ uh, properly obeying the fifth commandment is when he's on the cross dying Um, again he does say the word uh, woman to her but he actually arranges for uh, John to take care of his mother even while he's yeah. dying and properly obeying that and, and making sure that his mother will be well even as he's about to leave, albeit temporarily, and then leave again. But, um, yeah.
2: Cool. Cool yeah. Beans. The more you know. Yeah, good question, though.
1: Yeah, sometimes I, I've heard that text taught before, where there's a lot of emphasis on the like woman thing, and yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, all right. Do we have anything else that I missed? I think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, is there any other questions? okay uh
1: um let, let me just say something about this while he's here and and maybe this will be helpful to some of others um...
0: oh
2: my. oh
1: my
0: there was a lot of stuff just posted
1: uh well, while he's continuing to post uh Adam the, the Guna gym, Jim winky face um i'll tell you this just as a i guess word of maybe personal counsel and maybe it's helpful to others as well when tragedies like this occur people in grief express it differently um i don't know if this person knew the guy or was close to him in any way um who said that uh A a way people will say some crazy things that they don't necessarily always mean um, when things like this happen, um, including pushing off the blame for the death onto the person who has died. Um, On top of, uh, as an aside to that, I will say this, that uh, as the Bible says, the soul that sins deserves to die. We all deserve to die. Um, and, and so maybe a, a way to intersect with this person would be to say, like, um, you know, I deserve to die <laughs> for the things that I've done. Cheating is not the worst sin in the world, is a grievous sin. It's a horrible sin. Um, but it, too, can be covered by the blood of Christ, just as all of our sins can be covered.
2: Um But,
1: yeah, so so you have the other, the the friend of, that friend, I think, who doesn't think that person deserves forgiveness at all for saying that. Um, They don't deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is freely given. Um, We're commanded to forgive by God, but it is not earned um, from others who sin against us. And so, oh geez that's a wrench in that situation
2: you've got yourself a thorny situation my friend
1: um man well i i won't spend the whole time here but yeah if they're not believers then you can't expect them to treat the situation in any kind of god-honoring way and all you can do is try to uh show them how a Christian has the only true way and answers in situations like this. Um, the only way to truly grieve with hope and the only way to have real answers, um, and to pray for them. And we will join you in that. That's tough. All right. Uh, let me take a peek at what Mr. Rogers said. Um, Romans 13 Paul tells us that governmental authorities are all placed in authority by God or Bible study because the authority God has put in all our lives of our parents as well I just also overlap yeah that's just good stuff um it's interesting maybe he'll find this interesting uh whenever if he gets a chance to catch the yeah, back end of it um Thomas Watson actually connects this passage directly to uh both governmental and spiritual authorities. I just didn't mention it for the sake of time uh, because I knew that I would take all of the time. And then some just talking about the command in regards to the parents, but he does connect the parents, uh, the, the, the fifth commandment to honoring uh, and obeying uh, both spiritual authorities in terms of the elders of a church, uh, of, of your local church that you're part of, and then governmental authorities as well. So he actually connects it to both of those things. So yeah, there you go all right
0: is there any other questions or yeah i mean that's all Um, we got oh go for it
3: so uh, this is another question i had a while ago i don't want to make this has already been a pretty long one (laughs) um but like so i was gonna ask let's relate uh following um governmental authorities to like nowadays so like say in china right now a lot of people of religion in general are being persecuted and like put into concentration camps um how would like what are you supposed to do about that when you're supposed to like do what the authority wants you to kind of thing
1: uh the same principle applies as i said at the very beginning of this which is respectfully cheerfully disobey them because they are telling you to disobey god uh same thing with if there was a any any earthly authority does not have the authority to command you to disobey the lord there's no earthly authority that has that power um god is the supreme and ultimate authority he establishes and gives delegated power to earthly authorities and institutions and they are supposed to use that delegated authority to serve and honor god uh that's the point of romans 13 that the passage that uh, mr rogers roger there quoted uh, i'm just calling him mr rogers because that's more fun um that he quoted there uh the point of that is that a government authority is under obligation to be god's servant for your good and to punish the wrongdoer. And to uphold what is good, and when they're not doing that, and if they're commanding and they're, and they're coming around and commanding you to do things that are directly against uh, what God has commanded you, you respectfully cheerfully disobey We have a good example of this right now happening out in California where there is uh we talked about this I think some last week at the very end um. I think last week Andrew talked about this, um where John MacArthur's church out there is disobeying the California uh, government is telling them that they're not allowed to worship right now. And he's saying, Nope, God's commanded us to worship. So we have to worship. Sorry, but he's doing it respectfully um, by all accounts. And by, I mean, you can see the, the live sermons where he gets up and says, Hey, um, we, we respect their position. Um, but they are asking us to disobey God. And so we have to obey God rather than men. Um, And we have examples of this in the book of Acts of the apostles on a regular basis, uh, disobeying the government authorities whenever those authorities told them not to preach or not to gather. The early church gives us that example as well on a regular basis. And throughout the rest of history, we have examples of civil disobedience from Christians when the government oversteps its boundaries and tries to command the church to do things that are not in accordance with the word of god
3: Oh, well, thank you because like i was thinking about that question for a while and just kind of waiting for this or like a certain youth group this kind of came first so thanks for answering
1: yeah there you go yeah romans 13 is not a legitimizing of everything that the government could ever tell you to do and saying oh i guess the government said i gotta obey it it's not what romans 13 is about not what it means um so there you go yeah uh sort of related question so i'll take it but probably the end of my question answering abilities
0: yeah we have gone on too long so we will be officially done